Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and Ortho Evidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king, and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bandari from Ortho Evidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Well, good morning, Mo. Morning. Up late last night watching Monday Night Football, so <laughs> I definitely uh, need this. I, I was working on some journal manuscripts while watching the game, though. So it's a, uh, you know, it's not, not all play. That's you, the consummate multitasker. I, I appreciate you have your priorities straight too. It looks like you know exactly. football and research. Good, good, good. <laughs> yeah, just a spectator. Just a spectator. Yeah, yeah. Actually, actually, football plays into uh, our topic for today uh, oh. because. As, uh, as the audience knows, we have uh, frequently encouraged them to contact us at orthojoe at jvjs.org with suggestions. And so we had a PGY3, David Decky, who wrote in asking us to cover the topic of uh, sideline sports coverage in residence uh, and at the faculty level. And we've got uh, two experts uh, here uh, today who are actually card-carrying sports medicine physicians that have a huge amount of experience with this. We have uh, Dr. Brad Nelson, who is the head of athletic medicine for the University of Minnesota, done a lot of coverage of all sports, but primarily these days, I think Brad is hockey and uh, basketball. And we have Moen Khan from uh, MAC. Uh, and I'm not sure, Moen, wh what sports do you personally cover primarily? I do a little bit with the uh, Hamilton football team. Okay. Yeah. So you're at the high, you're at the very high level uh, of coverage. Uh, but uh, let, let's uh, start out this conversation with you uh, experts on the issue. What, what kind of preparation uh, did you have when you first, the very first, go back to when you very first uh, were on the sidelines or in the stands covering a game, what kind of preparation do you have and, and what's ideal? Maybe let's start with Brad and then we'll go to Moen. Same question. Yeah, I think, I mean, my, my, most of my experience started in fellowship, and I did my fellowship up at West Point, and there was a, a large amount of my time was spent covering sports, and, and it was done at many levels. At, at the true Division I level, you usually had your attendings around, but there were times where uh, I covered sports in, independently, and then as I went through my professional career, uh, the responsibility increased from uh, all the way up to covering professional hockey. I take care of our, our Minnesota Wild Hockey Club. And, and I, I think probably the, the preparation you need to have is some basic ATLS and BLS. You, you have to have the, those skill sets to, to be on the sidelines. And then you have to have really good mentors. So whether that's your faculty or, or, or your senior athletic trainers that are on the team, uh, on the sidelines with you, I really learned a lot from the athletic training staff uh, at, at Army and then, you know, at the University of Minnesota and with the Wild. Yeah, Moen, what do you think? What was your what was your experience? Did you have any preparation? What would be ideal? Yeah, similar to uh, Brad, actually, my experience really started in fellowships. So I did my fellowship at the University of Michigan. So there was a lot of collegiate coverage, Division One coverage of uh, football games and other sports. And you know, echoing Brad, it's a lot of it is having mentors, um, being prepared, and that preparedness really involves knowing not only the ATLS and the uh, BCLS, but, you know, understanding the scenario you're in, 
understanding the, your emergency action plan, who are the players, what supports you have available. All of that is going to be critical when you're on the sidelines and knowing what to do if something happens. Simone, can I just jump in? Mark, I'm going to ask a question here and yeah. maybe Brad might follow up with this one as well is, what are the common types of injuries you should expect? So you're, let's say a PGY3 and you're walking in for the first time. You're not, I mean, you're not going to have an encyclopedic knowledge of everything at that point, but you're certainly going to be thinking, where do I really spend my time preparing? What are the common things you typically see? Yeah, it always, it all depends on the sport, contact sports versus non-contact sports. The most common things you're going to see are sprains, strains, contusions, but when it comes to contact sports, you should be ready for ligament injuries, tendon tears, you know, things like ACL tears, MCL tears, shoulder dislocations, shoulder separations. These are pretty common. And then if you are by yourself on a field, especially in the hot weather, know things like um, your medical issues, like heat exhaustion, heat stroke, dehydration, all of that stuff would be very important. I agree. And I think, you know, we have our residents cover high school football in Minnesota. And I, I think the thing that they're the most nervous about, and we actually do some preseason education is on the diagnosis and management of concussions. Yeah. So I, I think with our collision sports, concussions are common, unfortunately. And I think a lot of orthopedic residents don't have an, any experience with, with that injury in, until they get on the sidelines. So we spend a little bit of time, you know, talking about how to assess proper decision-making. Uh, and I, I think that's helpful for the residents when they go out and cover football games. A lot of, a lot of these uh, game situations, there's not going to be an athletic trainer uh, on, the, on the sidelines helping them. But if there is, do you, do you two have any tips for how a beginning physician uh, new to this experience should interact with an athletic trainer on the sideline? Yeah, I, I think the key is to understand their skill set. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, almost every athletic trainer that's covering even high school, but certainly college and professional sports has their master's degree and has been doing this for a long time. And, and they really are a wealth of knowledge. And, and I think sometimes, particularly with young docs on the sidelines, they can uh, f forget that level of expertise that's next to them. And, and I, I think having a chance to talk with your athletic trainer, un understand the roles, even as simple as who goes out first for an injury, what are the signals for, you know, an athlete is really in trouble on, on the field. So, so you have that communication down before the start of the game. I think also just reviewing what equipment you have available, what supports you have available. You know, when something happens and let's say you need to board a patient or something, knowing where all that stuff is and knowing your role. So it's not just a mad frenzy on the side of the, the field to figure those things out. So communication, reviewing the emergency action plan beforehand, knowing what supports and what, what help you have available, all is very, very important. And can I ask, you know, and this gets back to, I think David's question originally that this, uh, the PGY with three who put the comment in, here's the point, what risks do you have? In other words, when you're coming in and you're, you know, you're diagnosing something, I mean, what's the liability associated with that? Are, like, what are you, what should be the areas of concern potentially when you're thinking about being on the sidelines? So one, you know, it's one thing to be told, but another thing to agree to do it. Right. So yeah, I think curious. That, that's a a really good question. And, you know, I think we've all operated for a number of years under this thought that you'd be covered by the Good Samaritan Clause if you were volunteering to cover a high school game. 
you're actually not, you know, because you're there as a, as the team physician. So, so for residents, the thing that's most important is that the team coverage activity is woven into your sports medicine curriculum. If it's part of your learning as an orthopedic resident, then your malpractice that covers you as a resident will cover your activities on the sideline. So if you're doing it as part of your training program, you have have malpractice coverage to help uh, with that risk. And then I think the other things that that I always have to keep reminding our residents is if they're covering high school football, they're, they're actually taking care of minors. And, and so you, you need to be aware of that and, and you can't but suture somebody's you know, chin up on the sidelines without their parents' per- permission and probably sh- maybe shouldn't do that anyway. But I think those two things, understanding that you're, you're taking care of minors. So if you're gonna actually probably do something uh, other than sort of basic for first aid, you should have the parents' uh, permission. And then making sure that your coverage, act- your sports coverage activity is part of your educational program. Great, thank you. Yeah. Mullen, do you have anything to add in terms of advice uh, for trainees who are entering this experience for the first time? I think, you know, other than what has already been said, just understanding as well that um, sports medicine coverage and sideline coverage isn't just sideline coverage. It's also being involved in the pre-participation physicals, managing MSK injuries off the field, um, common things that you'll see, sprains, strains, overuse, injuries, um, plus your sideline coverage. And knowing your team, um, all members of the team is very, very helpful uh, in just your communication. What happens in a situation and, and maybe it's it's not happened to either of you, but you know you, you get in there, you're a, a you know a mid mid level resident, mm-hmm. and there's something there that happens that you immediately decide this is above my level of comfort to manage this and to deal with this right now. Mm-hmm. What options do you have if you're the only one there? Like, what's the backup available to you usually? Well, I think Owens mentioned a couple of times this emergency action plan, and yeah. and it isn't the nebulous thing. I mean, most most of our venues, we actually have it written down. And so I, I think the number one tool that a that a young team physician can bring to the field is their cell phone, because you just basically activate EMS. And okay. and to be honest, in high school sports, when I, I've covered high school football, you know, we've, we've needed to call EMS for ankle fractures. I mean, that's just not something that the, the high school athletic trainers capable of, of dealing with, and, you know, we will call EMS for a tibia fracture. And, and I think having that cell phone and then understanding how you're going to direct EMS to your venue, is probably one of the most important things you can bring to the, to the coverage. Yeah. Have, have the address available, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Whenever you first get to the field, that's the first thing you want to do is scout out the location, understand what facilities are available, where are your med kits, where, you know, what, what do you have here and where would the road be for the ambulance to come in? Is it because you're not going to always have ambulance on site at, at, a, at a high school football game. So, um, you know, where would they be directed to? How would they get at, you know, how would you get the patient to them? All of those practical things sort those things out beforehand, um, meet with the, um, the staff there and, and figure that stuff out. It's very important. Yeah. And I imagine the, this, these same principles apply if you, if you have a situation with somebody, a spectator or a parent who's having a cardiac event, you better, 
you better have that uh, information available. You can direct EMS. Well, uh, this has been uh, very helpful. Uh, do either one of you have any uh, last minute thoughts that might be helpful for residents uh, covering these events or, or people supervising them before we say, have a good morning? Yeah, I would just worried. say, oh, go ahead. Mom. Yeah. I was just gonna say, if you're interested in learning a bit more about medical issues that you might not be familiar with, AOSSM has a good online curriculum. Um, that you can just read over and, and familiarize yourself with a little bit of that stuff, especially for the residents and fellows that are just starting off. Okay. Yeah, and I, I would just add that if you're interested in a, in a career that involves some sports medicine coverage, I, I would really encourage the residents to start early. It, it really, just like everything else we do, it's a, it's a lifelong learning process. If you can start with taking care of some high school sports early on in your residency, You'll just continue to kind of build your skill set, you know, both in terms of your clinical expertise, but your communication skills. And, and, and I think it's helpful for, for that to be in early in your career. That's great advice. Well, thanks to you two for spending a few moments this morning to answer David's uh, question. I think it'll be very, very helpful, as he pointed out in his email, to people uh, in residency who are interested in these careers. And of course, uh, as always, uh, as a, a small bit of thanks for your participation, you'll get your, your very own Ortho Joe mug uh, in the mail. And it actually works pretty good, uh, yeah, and, pretty good. and pretty indestructible as well. So uh, thanks again uh, and have a great morning and we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Have a good Thank day. You. Right. Take care. Thanks. thanks so much.